You're tuned into the October Recovery Podcast. My name is AJ. I'm not an addiction counselor, specialist, or professional. On this podcast, you'll hear discussion regarding 12-step recovery programs and how they have impacted our lives. However, the podcast is not a promotion or an endorsement of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. The opinions shared on this show are those of the individual speaker. If you or someone you love is suffering from addiction and needs help, call Recovery Centers of America, 1-855-487-9626. The email is recoverycentersofamerica.com. There you will find detox, inpatient, and outpatient services in Danvers, Westminster, Mass., Maryland, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Another recovery option is Banyan Treatment Center, started by pro skateboarder Brendan Novak. Locations are Pennsylvania, Chicago, four locations in Florida, and one in Wilmington, Massachusetts. Also, help with addiction can be found at Foundations Recovery Network at 1-877-714-1318. Hello everyone, it's AJ here. So this interview with Steve D is super interesting as far as a historical perspective on rehab facilities. He talks about a couple specific ones, including Beach Hill Rehab in Dublin, New Hampshire, and Dropkick Murphy's Farm in Acton, Mass. I had never heard of these. I at one point didn't know what he was talking about and uh, asked him for clarification and he did that for me. But um, I'm so glad that Steve came in and agreed to sit down with me and record because this is forever saved, um, you know, on a digital format and, um, you know, will be put on the internet shelves forever uh, for everybody to hear. And, um, you know, it's a piece of history, quite frankly. For all of you newcomers who are listening, pay attention to what Steve has to say about getting sober in your current surroundings, surrender, and medication prescribed by a doctor. For those not so newcomers, ask some of the old timers you know about Beach Hill and Dropkick Murphy's Farm. You may be surprised at how many people's lives were saved at these places back in the day. I hope you enjoy the conversation. October Recovery Podcast. Episode 6. Alright, we're going to do it. Alright, here we are. We're Steve. We're going. We're rolling. This guy here. So I met Steve at a new time meeting, and um, right off the bat, I I could tell, you know, I instantly saw his service work. He's always bringing somebody in. Um, he is responsible for booking speakers on that on that Friday afternoon, and um, there are always uh, people who have a lot to share, and that says a lot about um, his character and who he brings in. And I I really look up to him. I see him a couple Fridays a month, and um, he's he's still one one of my uh, I don't know what you would call it. I guess inspiration for for staying sober, and he just teaches me so much. And so, Steve, thank you for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure, AJ. Yeah, and um, so you came here on a s- Sunday afternoon, and you even brought a friend with you today. So, 
I guess you you travel with uh, <laughs> you always travel with with uh, with drunks. I guess is that yeah, a good way to put it? positively? Yeah, and you know it's interesting because Karen the other day she mm-hmm. spoke and she mentioned how she keeps you and Dick very close to her, and uh, it's it's no wonder that she's successful. So I met you in in the recovery program a couple of years ago. And uh, so, why don't you tell me and anybody who's listening how uh, what what you know what was kind of your journey into the, into recovery yourself, Steve? Well, basically, I don't I don't come from this area, but I uh, I was first exposed to AA in 1958. Mm. Uh, my family decided to have me locked up in a nut house. That's when they were. Not as well. They're gone today. I think in Massachusetts, and uh, they basically do whatever they want. I did 28 days, and they uh, discharged me. I guess I was under observation, and uh, they discharged me. They gave me a big Manila envelope full of the pill of the day, Milltown, which I don't like. Medicine's uh, mood of mind altering. Personally, I realized that some people need them. But, uh, you know, and I immediately, when I got home, threw them down the toilet. I got home about 3 in the afternoon. I I was sitting out in the porch and uh, trying to figure out how I was going to explain this trip to my friends to a nut house. And... uh, my father come out and he says, you have a phone call. And I went in and answered the phone and uh, it was a woman, uh, I graduated from high school with her son. And she asked me if I was having trouble with alcohol. And I told her, no, I was having a hell of a time with my father. And she asked me if I'd like to go to an AA meeting. And being the con man that I was, as probably still am, I said, sure. Uh, You know, I was due to come into some money in a few months. My father was taking me to court. It was for my mother's estate. My mother had died from alcoholism. I found out that I was 10 last night. Uh, My niece explained this, a friend of mine, that her mother was 12, so I'm two years younger, whatever. Wait, so you just found out literally last night, the night before today that your mother was 10, that you were 10 when your mother died? Yeah, I, I didn't know whether it was wow. 11 or 12. Okay. So uh, I know that from that also I picked up my first drink at 10. So, uh, you know, and that's uh, how the story got started was that first drink. Yeah. And what was that? Was it a party? Where did, where did, where did well, that first drink come from? No, my father decided he was going to get married. There were three kids left behind. And he asked my sister, who's a saint, whether she minded him getting married to this woman. And she said, yes, she did. Okay. Of course, I'm a contrarian. I, nobody was going to be, replace my mother. And, uh, and I objected loudly. But he did what he wanted, and I understand today. And... Uh, I mean, that's how I picked up my first drink, and it was champagne. Okay. You know, I started off at the top and ended up at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was at the country club, and uh, 
You know, I had the champagne toast. The next thing I know is it's 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm passed out in the schoolyard, pouring rain, throwing up all over myself, and they didn't say I'd never do that again. I couldn't wait. And for my kid, it was all A's. I don't think it was that hard in grammar school. I don't know. And they thought I had a potential as an athlete. I mean, it was just, it was just downhill. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from there, uh, my grades went down. Uh, high school, I was uh, I was a CPA, a continual pain in the butt. And, uh, you know, you said black, I'd say white. Uh, I'd get thrown out of school. My nickname in high school, I shown somebody in my class book, was Father Knickerbocker. That was Knickerbocker beer at the time. I, you know, I just was a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, it was like Groundhog Day. Uh, all I, I, I became totally obsessed with drinking. Early on. Oh, and, you know, my father also owned a bar room, so there was always plenty of booze in the house. Wow. You know, he would try experience with me. Uh, he'd tell me I didn't. I was going to end up like my mother's family, a lot of alcoholics. And uh, I said, no, Jesus, that's all right. I'd love to end up like them. You know, they all died early, but he decided the experiment. He would buy the beer, and I could drink at home probably at 16 or 17. And uh, the first night I had six beers in an hour and got shut off. That was the end of that experiment. So, I mean, it, it was just a disaster when I got out of school. Yeah. After high school, I worked uh, construction. And then, uh, you know, at age 20, that's when I— Went to my first meeting wow. in 58. Okay, 1958. Yeah, and uh, that was after that trip to the nut house. I found out just a couple of years ago that my stepmother had that one put together too. But, you know, so the day I turned 21, uh, 40 minutes afterwards I was arrested for driving under. Wow. And I went to court and... Uh, I told the judge it would be impossible to get drunk in 40 minutes, but he had some paperwork there with my previous arrest, you know, just for drunkenness, overnighters. And, uh, so he knew you. He knew my record. <laughs> he knew my father. Yeah. My yeah. father had a lot of influence on what would happen to me. I was always welcome back home, but the stipulation was no drinking. Do you think, do you feel like it sounds like in... It, this, I may be wrong, but do you feel like, because um, I know what happened for me, it was, I didn't have a lot of consequences. It was um, just because I was surrounded by, we drank, like my group of friends drank, and it was acceptable, you know, social drinking, and I would fuck up and act stupid and stuff like that, but I didn't have to pay a lot of consequences. I never, I didn't realize until I was very, very bad that I was in a lot of trouble. I never thought I'd live to be 30. Wow. You know, Shakespeare said, live while you live and when you die, be done with it. That was my motto. That's how you lived, yeah. A friend came who saw my class book yesterday, a matter of fact. No troubles ever bother them. They only knew what was going on in my head. That's what it said next to your picture? Yeah. Uh, no troubles never bother them, oh. right. The facade, the, oh, the, yeah. the fake image that we put up. And all through that class book, his father, Nick, uh, after that experiment with the... Where I got the beer at the Italian place, Knickerbocker beer. So I became Father Nick. Wow. Even some of the teachers 
in the book referring to my drinking. I'd be all right if I laid off. You know, the old timers used to say in those days, you get here five years later than you should have. So I should have got it there at 15 right. instead of 20. So now, just to back up at 20, I, I got that car. I talked my father and let me buy a new car because I was sober a month, and I immediately drove it into a lake with that woman and her husband that took me to my first meeting. I came to, the chief of police was there, my father was there. They decided they were sending me up to the Irish Alps, up to Dublin, New Hampshire, where there were two drying out places. The place at the bottom of Hill Birchacres, run by the toughest woman I ever met in my life. In the top of the hill, beach hill, swimming pool, audio meals. I mean, just very comfortable. And which one did you end up at? The first time I ended up, after the lake, I ended up at Marion's. And she told me three places an alcoholic could go. Mental institution, says you've already been there. Penal institution, already been been there, and your father will probably keep you out of jail for any length of time. And then she threw the kicker, you're not going to be lucky enough to hit the early grave. And I'm saying to myself, what's this woman, nuts? I'm not planning on a grave yet. She says, alcoholics die, and you're not going to be lucky enough. I've drank with your mother's side of the family. You're in for tough times. Did that scare you? Did that, did that <laughs> no, resonate? That, that no, resonate. it made me feel good. Made me feel good. I don't know, because she, she was... Building you up. Yeah, I mean, my, my uh, mother's side of the family was the one I liked. Okay. Uh, not My father's side of the family were great guys, too. Yeah. Wow. So... Uh, so that was your second... Was that your second? Second stint? one. Yeah. And then she sent, she sent me up to Beach Hill. Yeah. Where... The guy that eventually owned it, him and I used to work political campaigns. I think I voted at these things even before I was old enough to vote at the conventions. And uh, like I said, I had opportunities people would have died for. But, you know, I just loved to drink. Yeah. And uh, and 10 years later, yeah. now I went through the money in two years. I had enough to buy a bar room in those days, you know, cash. But I had a problem that I never wanted to, to leave on last call. So I couldn't figure out how I was going to close my yeah, bar. Yeah, you're going to shut your own bar. And I was going to lose the license, you know, and lose the business. 24 hours. So two years of thinking it over, the money went. I opened up a place up in Ashburnham, Mass, Norkeg. She wanted to know what I was going to do after I ran out of money. I said, not come there. Uh, I mean, I was bonkers. Uh, I also was in uh, a place, uh, Dropkick Murphy's, which is a band now. It was a health farm. I had an uncle that lived there 10 years on a supervised drunk. Wow. Every four hours, they used to uh, ring this uh, triangular thing with a piece of metal bar, and you'd go up to a Dutch door, and you could get either uh, peraldehyde, which was the medication of the day, which I loved, but I loved booze, too, or a blast of booze. Wow. Then you'd go it sit like around. A living commu- it was like a community? What was it? No, it was a It was, it was a, a halfway a farm. House. What do you mean by that? Like a... A person farm. farm? Oh, it was literally a farm. Yeah, and it was run by Dropkick Murphy, who was a dentist by trade, but a professional wrestler. And he invented the flying dropkick and wrestling. Of course. Really? What uh, the? 
And so, wait, so he got an interest in sobriety? How did he open this place up? It's a health farm for okay. athletes. It's and a health people. farm. Right. I, I've got pictures of uh, people who ran in marathons. There was a governor's uh, brother that lived there. He was Willie the Pill. They, he, they'd give him a pill every four hours. That's all he wanted. So it was a health farm that you stayed at. You was like yeah. you had residents there for a certain amount of time yeah. that you paid out of your pocket. Yeah. The, but they supplied you with drugs and alcohol? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. And uh, I, I got a light. I only lasted a day there. I uh, woke up the first morning, and they used to put you in a red sweatsuit with Bellows Farm across the front of it. I'm out, and I run into a guy I just left Birch Acres with up at Marion Johnson's place, the mean lady. And uh, surprise, surprise, you both met up. Yeah, there. and something. My foot was bothering me, so I took, I took, I had three one hundred dollar bills stashed on my sock. Wow, that's a lot of money back then. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, emergency money, emergency booze money. Well, you never know what you never... what you what you. Uh, I don't know why. Bucks, jeez. Okay. Had already gone through my money, probably. I don't know. So they wake you up. They put the sweatsuits on to go work out. To no, go no, no. That's what you walk around in, okay. so you can't go anywhere. But I stole somebody's clothes. Me and this other guy come up. He says, "You go make a run for it. Get some booze. We'll have a good time. Up, you know, put the booze in the woods." Wow. Well, that ended up a disaster. I came back. A, about five or six hours later, with a full load of board and a trust in our Lord. And the guy's waiting for me at the bottom of the hill. He said, they got the snake troopers. And I got six quarts of vodka, right? So I'll stash them in the woods. And, you know, I stagger up the road. I get out of the clothes that we stole. Like, I got the sweat, red sweat suit on. Nice. And uh, Murphy's son grabs me and brings me up. And they slip me a Mickey Finn. I don't, I hit the floor. Yeah. But I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning with Murphy. He's got me by a leg and an arm, and he threw me right off a wall. The whole place was drunk. Wow. He took me into the farm, and there was a guy crawling on all fours. And he says, he's a federal judge. I've been working two weeks to get him sober. He's sitting on a case tomorrow morning. He ain't going anywhere, and you're out of here. He threw me out. Wouldn't let me make a phone call. But, uh, you know, I got back to where I was living. And, you know, my father came to visit me. And Murphy said, tell him he's never allowed on the property. He's insane. Wow. And, uh, you know, he said, I've had all his uncles and everything. But I had another uncle die there. Wow. They put him in a car and drove him 40 miles up the highway and put him in his easy chair. And had Murphy, the undertaker, come over and pull him out. Help, just help me understand quickly. So this place, and I, I wanna, I just wanna understand. Can you equate it to anything today? Like what? Oh would be, no, no. Okay, so it was just a farm this guy had, and he. Oh, it was nice. It was a nice place. Right with plate with rooms. Yeah, in the barn. And he tried to get people. What do you want to get people out of society? Why did why did he have no, people up there? No, people would go up there to get sober. Yeah, but they, he's he's giving them booze. Yeah, and... but they taper off. Oh, I see what you're saying. Two guys from the Brink originally Brink's robbery. No, maybe I'm not. Uh, I'll, I'll tell a story anyway. I won't give their names. <laughs> they got a countrywide bulletin to pick up these two guys, 
and they were up at Murphy's drunk as skunks, and uh, they they didn't find them till they left. I mean, I, re- I remember their names for the. No, no, yeah. I'll forget about that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So then, so so keep going. So what happened? Then what? Well, about you know, ten years into this, after that first hospitalization in the nut house, I ended up on Labor Day weekend. I was in bad shape. My girlfriend, she worked, and she was applying the booze and for me. And a buddy of mine, we were all sitting around drinking, but I was getting, I was in tough shape. You know, I had burnt all bridges at the, the other places. I didn't have any money. So somebody came up with the idea. This was a Friday night on the long weekend. They called Gardner State and said they would dock the flowers from Worcester State, who was the head of the Worcester State Mental Institution. And he was sending a patient from out of district, and he'd send the paperwork after Labor Day. So I'm up in the nut house behind three locked doors, no clothes on the floor, observation, and there's no paperwork on me. Hmm. I'm in there illegally. So they, you know, they've talked to Dr. Flowers. He don't know who I am. The guy was making it up who called and everything. So I don't know how my father became involved. The next thing I know, the sheriff is handing me papers. RC-51 didn't stand for Roman Catholic. It was regular commitment, one day to life. And the sheriff brought him up. Wow. And I had played ball against him. He said, Steve, what, what did you do this time? I said, nothing. He said, you're on a peck of trouble. They, they can keep you forever here, and they can do anything they want. So, you know, I'm, I'm broke. So I called my sister. I said, is there a public defender in that, our hometown? And uh, she says, yeah. I says, get him. I, I says, I'm up in the nut house. She says, yeah, I heard. I said, how'd you hear it? Well, your father was talking about it. Our, our father was talking So anyways, the public defender comes up. And I, I mean, they told me this afterwards. I'm getting a little soft in the squash by now. <laughs> he, he was telling me about there was a program. He came from down around Boston. And there was a program at Met State Hospital for alcoholics only. Did you know? So you knew what an alcoholic was. Did you, did you know? Well, I audited oh. AA for all these years. Yeah, I, yeah. I was in but the, you understood it? Did you understand the disease? No, no, no. You didn't, you didn't. No clue, I mean. If you told me I was an alcoholic, I'd tell you I was a nut. Yeah. And then if you told me I was a nut, I'd tell you I was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I applied for a transfer from one nut house to another nut house. And uh, in the meantime, the, the judge comes up. They have a, they have a courtroom in the, in the state hospital at the time. And... When you uh, sign papers, you have to read them because they're a contract. And I said to the lawyer, my father, it was about three pages. He was a very slow reader, very successful businessman, slow reader. I said, he never read those papers. So the first question was, uh, Mr. D, did you read the papers? He said, no, I didn't have to. He belonged here. (laughs) Judge immediately dismisses it, and I'm out. Wow. But, you know, by now I'm I'm doing a little hallucinating and hearing things, bells ringing, telephones, doors. Yeah. You're not drinking at this point. No, no. All these years I audited AAA. I failed, though. I wasn't looking for a passing grade. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the only place that really wanted me. Nobody else did. Uh, yeah, that's that's what happens there. And, uh, you know, there was one bar in town, a guy I played ball against. He'd come to my bar. He'd drink all afternoon for nothing. I'd go to his bar and drink all night. And then after hours, they would put pillows on the floor and make me lay on the floor and drink. 
because I kept falling off bar stools. This but, is, I mean, they keep serving me. Can't make it up, man. And, uh, you know, I, I was just a disaster. So a month after that fiasco with God, Gardner State, I get a call from my sister, and she says, you've been accepted at Met State. I think it's a college. I says, I'm not going to school. I got to go to work. You know, work was a foreign language to me, believe me. So she uh, said to me, she says, there's a college. It's another state institution that you applied for a transfer to while you were in the other one. I don't remember this. I never heard of anybody that ever applied for a transfer to from one to the other. That's why I like the movie Cuckoo's Nest. I wish I could have uh, been involved in that one. And... Uh, so being an alky and a con man, I said, I got to go down and thank them for sending me the courtesy of using their facility because I know I'm going to drink again. Yeah. I haven't got a defense against the first drink. Mm. I mean, so I end up down there. Go down to thank them. They kept me six months. But every time they opened the door, I got drunk. You know, I wasn't sober there the whole time. But they, they loved the drunk there. Or maybe uh, some, something was in the background, making sure I wasn't on the loose. Yeah. My father could do things that, I mean, they kept my license for 12 years in like, Massachusetts. It's a year and indefinite. And when I applied for it, I got back down to Miami Beach, but I got out of that one. They, okay. told, they told me that I was an improper person. And they, uh, I've been in AA and there's two people in this area that I met in AA, they were designated improper person too, and they didn't get their license back. Were you still driving though? Very little. No, huh? Uh, and I, I, I got a hook into the registries, the registrar's office. Finally, an all night drinking, and the guy says to me, "Let's get down. I'll get that damn license." And so we went down, and you know, I'm not going to tell you how how it was done, but. I got I got it reinstated that day. Wow. You could do that back then. And a funny thing happened. About three or four days later in my hometown, the unmarked cruiser comes down. I'm standing down on the corner with the other brain surgeons <laughs> and uh, you know, scheming. And, angles, looking yeah, for angles. And he he says, Steve, get in the cruiser, I wanna talk to you. I said, I ain't getting in any cruiser. He said, all right, I'll drive up the street and we'll talk up there. So I walked up the street. He so he, you trusted him? Oh, could, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they, most of them I, I knew. I yeah. mean, a lot of them didn't like me. And what good. Good reason, yeah. Yeah. So you went up the street. What did, what did he have for you? He said, Steve, I understand you got your license reinstated. And I says, yeah. I said, I got to take the full exam. He says, don't do it. I said, what? I mean, all these years, 12 years, now I got... He says, Steve, don't do it. I says, why? He says, the chief has gone to all three shifts, and if you're seen behind the wheel of a car, you ought to be stopped. I said, Andy, that isn't fair. He says, what do you mean? I says, he'll get me for drunk driving again. He <laughs> says, that's just what the chief said. Yeah. So it doesn't. Wow. Yeah. I got you. So now, you know. Wait, this, did you say you didn't? I didn't get it. Oh, okay, it back. you didn't. Now, now I'm uh, either softening up or clearing up or something. <clears throat> I decide I'm going to get a sponsor. Now, I rode with one guy for all the years. The only requirement was 
not to call him when I was drunk. Yeah. And there would be always a bride in, the, in his car. I wonder if I heard that from you because I that I heard that early on too when I was wondering, you know, what to do, what to say. Yeah. You know, when I first started to get sober and I'm like, you hear about helping other people. Yeah. Like, How the hell am I going to help people? And somebody, it might have been you who said that. Tell them, you know, if they call you when they're drunk, uh. you can't help them unless they're not drunk. So politely say, I want to help get sober and then call me back tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. It's good advice. I mean, that was, now I got this is after 12 years of riding yeah. with the guy. I, something had happened. I was in the backseat of the car with a guy had just come out of uh, Bridgewater for the criminally insane, where the Boston Strangler spent his career. And the guy said to me, do you ask for help? And mm. I said, to who? Yeah. And he says, to a higher power. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. But I wasn't going to give the guy any BS because he just did a bit for manslaughter. And I wasn't <laughs> going to be the next victim. You know? Yeah. So I, I started that night, I asked for help. Wow. When I said met, met state, I asked the doctor to put me on hand abuse. That was something you took and you got sick. If you drank alcohol, yeah. yeah. And he, he gave me the info. He was in AA, this doctor. He says, Steve, it's reliance on a higher power, not a chemical power. So now I'm, now I'm throwing into the towel a little bit. I'm asking for help. So then I said, I better get a sponsor. So I said to the guy, I says, I need a sponsor. Would you be my sponsor? He says, sure. Two weeks into it, he told me, I want you to leave town. I said, wait a minute. I asked you to help me with alcohol, and you're telling me to leave town. Why was he saying that to you? He says, you'll never get sober here. That apartment building you're living in, everybody's drunk. And Steve, how many times have you been hospitalized? At that time, it was probably 20 or something. Wow. I've heard, I've, I got friends around here that have been down at, well, detox for 100 times. Uh, well, he was, he, what, thank you, you know, like, thank you, whatever his name was. Yeah. Because he was, um, he was straight up with you. Yeah. And it's so true. I mean, now I see it, even simple things, um, and I won't get off track yeah. here, but I remember I was going to go to a football Patriots game when I was early, when I was four months sober, mm -hmm. I was going to go to Gillette Stadium and my friend Paul goes, don't go. Like, I have the ticket. Yeah. I just spent $100 on the ticket. He goes, I don't care what you spent on it. My advice to you is don't go. And he was right. I went there, and I'm sitting, my eyes are looking at everybody drinking booze. And, you know, that's no place for a guy who's trying to get sober early on. So, you know, he was right on the money there. Yeah. Right? So I said to him, if I agree, I says, well, I don't agree. I I says, what, what's my options? He said, get another sponsor. I said, Jesus Christ, it took me 12 years to get you. <laughs> So I said, how long have I got? He says, two weeks. He gave me a ride. Another part of the state. Wow. Well, it was near that nut house. So I went down. Now I now, now I have to get a job to support myself because the, the girlfriend was... Uh, I didn't know she had a drinking problem. She died of cirrhosis of liver six months after I left. I didn't even know. She worked. I mean, that was my qualification. 
So you literally left everything behind, listened to your sponsor, and left town. Yep. Because you knew that's what you needed to do to get sober? No, I didn't know that. But I, I, I wasn't on a winning streak where I was. But still, I mean, something... I would, you know, I mean, I'll put words in your mouth and you can come over here and punch me in the head, but I'll say that's like a power greater than you forcing you oh, to go somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, I was beat, but I wasn't ready to, you know, surrender. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, you know. And uh, surrender to me isn't uh, or giving up alcohol. It is in two parts, admit and accept. You know, I can admit it. I don't have to accept it. I like it. You know, or vice versa. Right. You know, I, I was the person in the fifth chapter that was constitutionally incapable of getting honest with myself. There are those poor unfortunates. But, you know, I, I just never, uh, I never thought about stopping drinking. Yeah. So, you know, now, I'm, now i got to get a job. So I go to uh, the unemployment office. First, I went to the social worker with the state hospital. I said, how do you get a job? You know, before I worked construction, tender bar, and were you obsessing at this point about drinking? Yeah, well, I always obsessed. I I couldn't vision life without booze in it. Yeah, it was the only thing that helped me together mentally. Yeah. Were you were you drinking at this point right now? When no, you... no. Okay, so you went to the state hospital looking for a job. I, I went into a six month plan. I while I was at Beach Hill one time. I met a guy that worked for a company, Sherson and Lerman, and he had a six-month plan. Every six months, he got drunk. He'd drink for a week, come to Beach Hill for a week, stay in the infirmary, stay another week. His wife would come up. For some reason, I was up there, and I wasn't drinking. I hadn't been, I don't maybe I... They offered me a job in New York City and as, as an apprentice for this company, Sherson and Lerman. But the, the whole thing was the six-month plan. Now I'm going. I turned down the opportunity. You know what Sherson and Lerman became? No. American Express. I, I knew I was going to be in trouble yeah. in New York City. He was 18-year-old yeah. drinking. Are yeah. you kidding me? Yeah. So now i got to get a job. i got go down to the unemployment office and tell them you don't want to be president of the company for at least six months. You want minimum wage. So I said, the bitch. So I go down and I, I give it word for word. Yeah, oh, you the did. The woman says, you want, what? <laughs> you won't be president? She, what job do you want? I says, yours. Ah. Well, I ended up in a little hot water. Yeah. Not, but I got a job. They gave you a job, huh? I got a job. Then within six months, I'm foreman of it. It was a factory. and uh, But I'm on a six-month plan now. I'm going to be – I'll ask for help every morning except for the morning I, don't, I want to drink. Hmm. Then I'm going to get back in the driver's seat. You know, I, I, I don't understand this progression that's happening when I'm not drinking. And, you know, so I had three of those. And they weren't bad drunks or anything, uh, but I call that my research and development two years period, uh, R&D. You know, I'm picking up words. So anyways, my last drunk uh, was on, uh, I picked up a drink on St. Patrick's Day in 1972. And it was two hospitals in two days. A friend of mine found the elevator key to the, the lock wad in the nut house. I still have it in my bag today. 
I carry that in a teaspoon and says, Department of Mental Health. Wow. Remind me where I came from. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't a bad drunk. Two hospitals in two days. Hmm. I called my woman sponsor and told her I peed the bed, and she says, well, turn the mattress over. Uh, so I, I'm going, going up to, uh, I think I'm going to Beach Hill. And my buddy uh, from my hometown came down and picked me up, and he's driving me. You know, it's a good haul, 100 miles. And we get uh, drinking up in Peterborough, New Hampshire, in a, in a motel. It previously was a drying out place, but became a jazz motel up there or something. And the last, I, I'm drinking Presbyterians. You know, people don't, uh, it was a Sunday, so being a Catholic, I drink Protestant drinks, which was, all it was was uh, uh, rye with uh, ginger ale and soda water. Did the job. Yeah. And, you know, I'm planning on Peach Hill. So this, and is, I, this, is, this is when you're on your way up. Yeah. You know, I've had my two-day fling. March 72. Yeah. You're coming to the end. Yeah. I don't know it's the end because no, no, I'm in don't. the six-month six plan. Yes, yes, you don't know, but we know now. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I ran into some people the, the uh, from the town I was working in. They were coming from skiing. They asked me what I was doing. Did I need help? I was, you know, I had a, a load, a full load of board probably in the trust in our lot. And I said, no, I said, I'm up here drying out. I'm speaking at that AA thing down in Lantana next Friday night. <laughs> no, I was always. And, uh, One step ahead. Yeah, right? yeah, telling people falsehoods. But yeah. So a funny thing happened. I ended up at the mean woman's place. Mm. I woke up the next morning, and I heard her voice. And I'm cringing because she had thrown me out of this place many times. She threw me in jail one time. I wasn't there half an hour, and I wanted another cigarette. She was laying linoleum, that's how many years ago it was. And she said, if he doesn't shut up and get in bed, call Peterborough Jail. I went down to Peterborough Jail for the night, and they didn't stay. They went home, told the jailers. I was in there by myself. Now, they come down to pick me up at 6 in the morning. I'm back up at Marion's place. She's still laying linoleum. And the night the guy brings in the medicine, the paraki. And now I like this stuff, but I tell him to shove it where the sun won't shine. She overhears me. She says, call Peterborough Jail. <laughs> Take him back. Wow. I says, give me the medicine. Yeah. You know, I should have known. What is that? Paraki or whatever it, it, it was the thing they'd put it with grapefruit juice. It would uh, relax you. But put you, yeah, put you in like, and the only trouble is the withdrawal from that some people died from. Oh, geez. Some of the but, stuff. I mean, uh, you could uh, be on a month-long bender, and uh, you you get this into you. You could eat the side of a cow. I see. Yeah, so they thought it was a healthy option while people Yeah, were oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, and then they... Come up with all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what they did. You you want to get dry? You follow the rules, or you end up in jail. <laughs> oh, another time she asked me to. I mean, she she loved me because I was a drunk. You know, there was no there was no medicines or anything. I I all I wanted was booze. And uh, 
she was. She asked me to stay on staff, you know, to give myself a break. She used to send word down to my hometown to the guys in AA. Tell them he's welcome here anytime. He doesn't need money or anything. Well, I said she wants him to throw me back in the Peterborough jail. <laughs> but this one time, she asked me to feed the animals. I'm out throwing. I don't know what I'm doing. I got a plastic pail. The goat butts me in the ass. I hit the goat over the head. She threw me out for cruelty to animals. I mean, I just couldn't win. And But the last time I heard her voice, and then, you know, I I stayed in the room. I, I didn't wander. And she uh, used to sit around after supper in the dining room, which was nothing fancy. And the guy said to her, she, she said, well, I mean, I mean, I, one time a doctor came in as a patient, and uh, he introduced himself to everybody that he was doctor so-and-so. She come flying down the stairs. You lost your title when you crossed the threshold. <laughs> You're she... just a drunk like the rest of us here. What were her credentials? Was she like a... A drunk. Yeah, that's it, huh? That was it. Yeah, and some that's pretty much... You can't get any better than that. Yeah. Tell, trying to help another drunk. At least they know where you've come from. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, she loved uh, people like me. You know, either you're going to get sober, they're going to die. So was that the last stop? What it was? Yeah, so we're sitting around, and the guy said to her, how often do I have to go to AA if I go? She says, you've never been. And he says, no. She says, you should go every night for six months if you can, and then cut the meetings in half and start giving back something to that family you've been robbing all these years. And she says, I'm not talking financially. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, the family of the alcoholic gets sicker than the alcoholic. That guy over there. You. Me. Every night the rest of his life, he's got nothing better to do. And until he puts something in his life, that's where he belongs. And with that, she says, you can go home tomorrow. I said, Marion. I paid for a week. She said, I'll give you your money back. I said, I don't want my money back. She says, all I can do is get you physically sober. You've spent six months in hospitals. You've done that. You're nothing but a 24-carat lush. Go back to AA. Then she threw the kicker, and I get upset even I don't think you're ever going to drink again. I says, wait a minute. I love to gamble. I wouldn't take the bet. She says, you go back to AA. You stay away from doctors, therapists, priests. AA is the only place for you. And, you know, here I am today. I haven't picked up a drink yet. Wow. I don't know why. 1972. She did it to another guy that's got uh, 10 years on me. Wow. He lives uh, another part of the state. Same message. He hasn't drank. Uh, I don't it? know if she passed it out very often. Yeah. What is it What is it about, about the 12-step program, Steve? What is it that... So there, it was Bill and Bob. Yeah, sat down and wrote it. And 
genius, right? Some of the stuff they put in there is genius. And I think the fact that it's all wrapped up, you know, you got to get yourself well, number one. And when you get there, you got to you got to continue to give it away. And, and, the, and the human like that takes away your ego. It diffuses your self-centeredness. I mean, I think that was it was just so smart to end it that way. To give, you know, the 12th step to my, give freely what you yeah, have received to my, help another alcoholic. My original sponsor, Little Al, said to me, I have an obligation to go to AA meetings. This was after I was sober. And, of course, I thought he was talking the Catholic Church, Holy Day of Obligation. He said, no, I'm not talking about the Catholic Church. He says, just remember, somebody was sitting in a seat when you came. I've never had a problem going to an AA meeting. Yeah. I may not like what I heard there. I may not like the meeting. Yeah. Marion said there were going to be times you go to a meeting, you, all you're going to get is a cup of coffee. Instead of sitting there moaning and groaning about you don't like this, you know, think about what got you there. Mm. Tell me, tell me quick about that. I love the story how you have. Um, tell me about your connection with one of the members who were one of the founding members, one of the first 100 of Alcoholics Anonymous. Who's that? Oh, with Clarence, Clarence S. Clarence S. Who was a pigeon of uh, Dr. Bob. After college, I ended up working in the liar's capital of the world for 19 years, Washington, D.C. I lived in Virginia. And uh, I was Sunday afternoon. I don't know why I wasn't at the racetrack. I used to go all the time. I went to a meeting, a pickup meeting, and who was it but this Clarence S., who was one of the original hundred drunks. And he got he got into talking about the steps. And he said, come down to Florida. I'll put you up at my house over the weekend. We'll go through all 12 steps. Then you go help another drunk. He says the 12 and 12 was written by Bill Wilson. And he didn't say Wilson, but he said some people are trying to make AA into religion. But, it, you you know, you go through the steps. And I guess originally they used to go upstairs and kneel down by a bed. Uh, when it started, they all they had were the four absolutes. Then they went to six steps and then the 12. And that, that got me off the hook with the... It took me 11 years to write the fourth down. Yeah. And then when I went to my sponsor, who came from Massachusetts, he said, uh, rip it up. I know you better than you. I know myself. Because you've been, I've been riding with you for years. And, uh, you know, just go help another drink. I mean, that was the message I always got. Yeah. But uh, that was my experience hearing Clarence Clarence's. Yeah, that's cool. I wanted to ask you about um, one of your pet peeves, and it's uh, I, I see you cringe every time at the beginning of the meeting that we see each other at when they ask for uh, people to raise their hands for temporary sponsors. What's your take on temporary sponsorships, no, I, Steve? I, I think it's BS. I mean, that's come out. I, I I would imagine it's come out of some detox or something. You know, go in and claim your seat. I, I tell them to go to Suffolk Downs, but that's closed now. 
Uh, no, I, it's a permanent disease. Why would you want it to? Years ago, they would pick you. Oh, you'd, you know, you'd be sitting there and you'd yeah, tap on the shoulder? Yeah. And what would they say? I'm your sponsor and you're going to go to meetings and this and that. I mean, that's what I've heard. But uh, no, that temporary thing, I, I mean, I, I think it's given uh, false hope. Maybe it helps them get over a hump. That's what I hear. Get over what hump? You're either going to stop or you're not. I mean, the only reason I'm sober today is I ask for help in the morning. I ain't going to drink today. I'll drink tomorrow, 1 past 12. But if I got any brains left at 1 past 12, I'll ask for help and I won't drink that day. Mm. I mean, uh, the longer I'm sober, it's the simplicity of this program that makes sense to myself. And I realize that everybody has to go through the same thing and question that I, I had to go through. Was it hereditary? What if it was? You got it. What are you going to do about it? You know, they'd, I, I mean, I'd be in these places. They'd ask me, did I have a morning drink? I, I mean, I looked at them like they had four heads. Doesn't everybody? You know, from the time I was a pipsqueak, my father would have me at the Legion or the Elks Club Saturday, Sunday mornings. People would be drinking. I never thought they meant that I have to drink in the morning. But, uh, no, it's a simplicity. I mean, I ask for help, thank at night. Yeah. You know, I can screw up during the day. I, you know. Yeah, we're human. Yeah. Yeah, you say you do what you can do, make the correction, have a good intention, and you move on. You know, I'm, I'm a little different than my, my original sponsor. Well, he'd say, call up sober. I don't care if you call me drunk. You know, if you do it too many times. I, my friend Jack the Barber, he used to say, you roll out the red carpet to a newcomer. They go out again, you take a little of the carpet back. You know, they keep going out, you got the whole carpet and tell them to see somebody else because you're not... You're not clicking with them, and there's nothing bad on either part. Yeah, it's just not not working. Let me ask you quick about um, because I, I I value your opinion on medication, and I think it's a really uh, important topic uh, because I hear it at meetings, and I was confused by it personally when I first came in, and um, I have an opinion on it. I've shared it before, but so what would be your opinion on when you when you go to these meetings and you hear um, people have taking certain stances about whether or not they can take medication, whether they can't, what can you offer to a newcomer that's listening that you might think would help them with this, with the situation? You know, I, I, I hear people get up. I haven't had a drink, a pill or a joint. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm, I'm there for alcohol. If they had a pill or a joint, that's their business. I mean, Bill Wilson experimented with LSD. But because he had depression. You know, I'm, I'm not a doctor. You know, I don't think it should be mentioned from the podium, though. I don't think people should bring it up because it opens up the thing. Oh, I see. That's interesting. Yeah. You yeah. know, and if they don't bring it up, if they talk to their sponsor or their friends about it, that's their business. Mm. I Some people need pills. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, who am I to say? Yeah, we're not doctors. You know. Um, yeah, no, that's that's good because I I ran into that and. Um, well, what's your opinion on it? So I feel like so I had an issue where I was taking uh, medication for you know prescribed by a doctor and 
um, I had something going on with another part of my body and it was, and, um, and you know, it was causing me pain and I needed to, I, I was in pain. And, um, so I called my sponsor and I'm like, I think I may have fucked up. I told him and he goes, what I loved was he goes, Hmm, let me get back to you. So he called his sponsor, called me back. He goes, what was your intention? You were in pain. You were trying to get rid of the pain. You weren't trying to get high. Move along. And that was what I needed to hear. I was in the hospital one time down in Virginia. I'm fighting with the doctor. I ain't taking this. I'm not taking that. My sponsor, who happened to be from Swampscott, Mass, came in. And he said, what's this going on? He, he took the thing right over. And... The doctor says, I'm trying to get him to take this medication. He won't take it. He says, you give him what you want. Why he's in this hospital. You don't need him to miserable or yourself miserable. He will take what you give him. Mm -hmm. I will deal with him when he walks out the door. Mm. Yep. So as prescribed, to, to kind of put a bow on this, yeah, my thought as prescribed by a doctor that you trust. And if you don't know any, ask somebody that you trust. That's a a field for doctors to tell you about. So get a doctor that you trust. I mean, it shouldn't be discussed at meetings. I mean, I in small groups or something. I in mean, small groups. It's a good point. Everybody wants an easier softer way. Yeah. And that's another important piece of, you know, joining a group, yeah. getting a sponsor. Because you could talk about these things. There are some things from the podium. I mean, yeah. I mean, this this 12-step recovery is based on honesty. But there are some things that you got to hold back at meetings. When you raise your hand, mm -hmm. uh, X, Y, and Z isn't good in front of 150 people. But perfectly acceptable in front of your sponsor. Yeah. I mean, well, you know. you're friends. Yeah, or friends. People you, people you can trust. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the last thing I was going to say. So... When you think they talk about doing the next right thing, doing the next right thing, what what does the next right thing look like to you? What does the next right thing look like to no you? No idea. You know, different people, different strokes. I mean, I'm not the same person that came in, but I had the morals of an alley cat for Christ's sake for probably the first 10 years. But as, as you stay sober, I found I changed in spite of myself, you know, my biggest complaint now is uh, doing away with speaker meetings. 1964, there were 218 meetings in the book in Massachusetts. 200 of them were speaker meetings, 18 were discussion, or 12-step. So that's 94%. 1974, 83% of the meetings were speaker meetings. Make a guess what they are now. Oh, given that 2018. Ah, according to that trend, they got to be in the low 40s. 18.8%, wow. which must have come out of uh, spend rise. What you is know, it about the speaker meeting that you're so passionate about? That you have to sit there and listen in spite of yourself. You know, and, uh, you know I go to some discussion meetings. I mean, I run one on, on Friday. I have a coffee maker now, but I used to. The only reason I got to pick the speakers you, you mentioned was I made the coffee. So I could, I knew one day a week I was going to hear what I wanted to hear. But, uh, you know, I just think it's important to learn. I mean, there used to be a sign, learn to listen, listen to learn. And uh, 
I, I mean, they, they don't work for me because everybody's got opinions. I go to one at noontime. I swear the people are uh, raising their head, hands walking down the driveway coming in. You know, there was a meeting down in Virginia that said, if you miss the moment of silence, keep silent. You know, these people come in halfway through and their hands are up. I mean, I... When I came in, it was ego deflation to the nth degree. I think you're not capable of thinking. My sponsor played in the big bands. He had a watch with uh, the band leader's name on it, Jan 7. So I had a watch made with my name on it. That was the stupidest thing I could have done. Because my sponsor would tell people, this guy was so sick when he came in, he had to have his name put on a watch to know who he was. <laughs> You know, yeah, but I mean, yeah. they, and if I went out, they'd say, little Stevie D, did he get any better? Mm. You know, they they were not kind. And, mm. You know, I'm probably a little softer with, a, with an active alcoholic than the, the people were with me. But I know the futility of it. You know, and you got to drink every drink to get where you are. I mean... Uh, I don't know what when people's uh, shut off valves are, mm. you know. But I love I love a drunk. Yeah. Somebody yeah. said to me a couple of weeks ago. Imagine somebody was drinking in the ladies' room. I'm saying, why not? It's a natural thing. That's what we do. Yeah. I mean, I, I was at a, another group that called a business meeting because somebody was drinking wine coolers in a Dunkin' Donuts cup at the meeting. And I said. If a newcomer came in and sat next to the person and got a whiff of the, they may never come back. You know, I don't think we should allow them to sit in chairs drinking. Okay. You know, but out in the parking lot, in the bathroom. Okay, that's interesting. I haven't come. I haven't come across that situation yet. I don't know what I would do. I don't think I would. I mean, I can wrap myself out. I don't know. I mean, if somebody was drinking next to me in a meeting, I don't think I would say, "Please leave." I don't. I don't think you'd tell them to leave, but I mean, I think you could tell them after the meeting. Yeah. That you know. And, and explain what you yeah. just said, because that's perfect. Like this could cause major issues for a newcomer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole thing is, you know, we don't see falling down drunks coming in anymore. Why? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I went to a meeting in uh, Lemonster, Mass. They told me to get downstairs in the bar room. I went down. I came back up at the end of the meeting, and I was in Peterborough jail before the night was over. I don't know. I mean, there's a good beginners meeting in Wakefield I went to this morning. There's some, I mean, people are beat up. I was beat up when I went there, and I I love that. I mean, it's it's ter you know. Was that at the? Uh, that's at the Masonic Temple. They that's got a, a beginners meeting before the regular. Do. That's wonderful. And there's 100, 140 people there this morning. Probably not too many newcomers, though. There are. There are. Yeah, it's a newcomers meeting. There's a new, yeah, but I mean, a lot of old timers oh, there will are. go. There are. But there are a lot of newcomers there this morning. There's one in, which I haven't been able to get to yet. There's one in Lynn, Friday nights at 7 to 8. I, I'd rather be around beginners Same. than old timers. Same. I mean,. It's where it, it keeps it keeps it right in chat, right in the front of your brain. Brings me back people. to where I came from. Yeah, yeah, you know, because I didn't come in on a winning streak, but you know, now it looks like a bad novel. Yeah, you know, but if I forget where I came from, you know, I probably am not going to repeat it because you know, like people say, "Would you drink again?" I said, "I don't know what I could do for an encore." 
You know, but the last, like I said, the last one was two hospitals in two days. Yeah. It makes I no mean, sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, when the newcomers are talking or when I have to talk to them, I have to go back to wherever I was. Yeah. You know, not on this one street that I'm on now. Yeah. They asked but, Wilson if he'd ever drink again. He said he wasn't planning on it a day at a time. I can't believe the simplicity of the program today. That's what makes the most sense to me. Yeah. Yep, you can't drink. You got to figure out um, that, you know, that one <laughs> for that first drink, man. That first first drink, you just yeah. can't have it. Yeah, I do. Uh, and then once that obsession's gone, I don't know. That when I left that place, I don't know what she did. She put a spell on the obsession. I only wanted to drink once. Mm. Really wanted to drink. Mm. And I was at Magnolia on a Saturday night, sober two and a half years, playing in the playpen I shouldn't have been playing in. And I said, and the doctor from Met State was there. I said, get bed number one ready. You know, the <laughs> arrogance of the alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. And he says, Can, well, let's talk. I said, no, no, this is it. I'm going. I said, I'm not drinking today because I made the mistake of asking for help this morning and out of gratitude for all the days I've had, which was two, two and a half years or two and three quarters. I started, I was living in Rockport. I started driving home. I had to pull the car over. I started throwing up. Wow. My system knew what was coming. I didn't. Yeah. You know, I never picked up that next drink. And it's all because I, that day at a time you mentioned. You know, I if I get the thought of a drink, Immediately, I ask for help because that puts me off. Because you know, I am grateful for the days I've had. You know, and I, you know, I, I don't want to blow on, but you know, I, I tell you, I worked in the liars' capital of the world. I, I dealt with the 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 best. Yeah. Uh, well, they think they're the best, but uh, you know, when I was asked to go to meetings, uh, politician meetings, lawyers meetings. And I refuse. I just go where the ordinary guy goes, a girl. Mm. I don't go to specialty meetings. I don't go to men's meetings. I have gone in the past. They're fine. Yeah. But I just like to be with the general population. Yeah, that works for you. Yeah. That's good. Well, I really, really appreciate you coming in. Let's see. It's an hour and 25 minutes we've been talking here. Are you shit? <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I know. And it's great. You know, you... I, I got one other one I want to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. What do you got? You know, and they, they say, you know, about uh, dual addicted people and NAA uh, drug addicts in there. And you know, my opinion is if they want to do it, what they should do is have meetings for drug addicts, meetings for alcoholics. And then another meeting for people that are drug addicts, alcoholics. Mm. You know, they want to be together. That would, I, I, you've mentioned this before, and I love that. I actually talked to my buddy about yeah. that after because I, because I, I brought it up, and he was like, he brought up a great point. He's like, he loves it too. He's like, but how do you do it? How do you do a? I don't know. You know, Wilson put out the pamphlet problems other oh. than alcohol. Okay. 1958. Okay. He knew this was coming down the pike. 
that everything it was everything not just alcohol yeah other than alcohol yeah yeah Yeah, he knew it was coming yeah and he said they're all different psychological problems now i've never had problem with uh, drugs so i i know absolutely nothing about them but i think to be fair to everybody in in massachusetts there are a couple of alcohol only meetings you have to be an alcoholic only there's one in lowell Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. like you wouldn't. So I don't even know this. So they, they, at the they meeting want, we go to on set on, what at the meeting we go to at noon time Friday. It's like, it, it's Alcoholics Anonymous, but anybody can go. But in one of these meetings you're talking about, yeah. you can't go if you're a drug addict. Can't you get if it's a closed meeting? It's got to be a closed meeting. Yeah, but I mean, all they can talk about is booze. Okay. My original sponsor. Played in the big band era. He used to get up and say, my name is Al. I'm an alcoholic. I've done other substances. I'll talk to you before any meeting, after any meeting. I'll give you my number. You can call me. But out of respect to AA, all I do is talk about alcohol. And that's mm-hmm. going back to 58. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's That's respectful because... And there, I mean, the bottom line is, is that, you know, the program that we go to works for us. There's what? There's NA, there's Smart Recovery. Smart Recovery is a good one. Like uh, uh, this guy, Shane Raymer, who's a podcaster in California. He he does that. He does. So whatever works for you, man. Yeah. If you're you're able to do this, well, first of all, stop whatever it is that you're addicted to. Yeah. Get honest with yourself and get honest with a God that's. A higher power yeah. that is spiritual in nature, then you can get yourself right. Like you, if you can get yourself right mentally, physically, and spiritually, whatever it takes for you to get there. Show me. Like I haven't seen anybody. I said this before. I haven't seen the guy come up to me yet and say, "I'm sober. I'm I'm in control of my life. I don't do it this way. I do it another way, other than a twelve step program." Show me how to do it, man. Maybe I'll do that way. Yeah. But I haven't seen that yet. My point is, however you can do it, yeah. if you can get honest with yourself, honest with your God, and then you get honest with other people, then that's it, man. Like they read the signals of purpose at the Friday meeting. You know, and that's what Wilson was talking about. You know, people think we're going to be successful at everything, and it doesn't work. But they, they let them use all the, all the stuff that they uh, created, uh, was created for them by somebody, uh, some spiritual axiom. They were created by Bill. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he'd have a problem with that. I mean, it depends on the guy's intention, right? It depends on what you're trying to scam people. You're trying to get people sober. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. I mean, but but it's a money business today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, I mean, it is. It's our culture. You know, you're going to have people who aren't honest and people who get the wrong intentions. But, you know. I mean, like we said, it, all you can do is help other people. But you can't get there until until you can get to the point in yourself when you you, you met you taking yourself off the hook. Man, what a feeling. You know, it's like, it's okay. Like, we're not perfect. We fuck up. But when you do it, admit it. You know, and it's tough to do it. It's tough to do at the beginning. Yeah. But once you do, it's just such a better way of life. And knowing that, you, you know, you're not in, you're not my 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 sponsor says I fired myself as general manager of my life, and that's it. That's yeah. like you're laying your weight on something greater than yourself. You know, and that's when the spirituality. I mean, comes I in. 
I don't have a sponsor anymore because I buried six of them. I don't want to be called the Undertaker. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, well, then, who do you? What do you do? How do you? So, how I, do you? I do talk it? to you or yeah. anybody that's in the range. I'm. I talk to newcomers. I probably shouldn't. Yeah. You know, I'm liable to tell them, you know, I'm screwed up here or something. I have no problem with that. Maybe I shouldn't dump it on a newcomer, but, you know, and I, I don't care if they go someplace with it. Yeah. You know. So it's just a matter of, get, you know, if you got to get it out, you get it out? Yeah. I mean, the, the sponsor I had, from he wasn't my sponsor, really, because he refused me. I asked him to be my sponsor. I was living in Virginia. I wasn't going to have a Southerner for a sponsor. Today, I would. And he says, Steve, how long you been sober? I've been sober eight years. He said, Steve, all I do is sponsor for three years. I take you to meetings. I introduce you to people. I show you where meetings are. And after three years, I'm no longer your sponsor. I'm your friend. And we're on equal footing. Nice. And I never forgot that. Yeah. I mean, what an ego dropping thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. By, by saying that. And he was a very powerful man. In, in in real life. In industry, yeah. 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 But very humble. That's the key. Then I asked him to speak at my 17th anniversary. And he says, is that divisible by five? And I says, no. Well, he says, I can't speak. Because at that time in Massachusetts, you only celebrated things by five. One, five, ten, fifteen. You brought your own speakers. And anything you did was ego. Or ego deflation. I mean, that was that was what uh, kept us right sized. Yeah, you know, we were no big deal. Yeah, and that's why you know, as long as I'm so very seldom, will I mention how long I'm sober because it's a daily program. I mean, if some newcomer come up and ask me, I'd be, yeah, I tell them. Yeah, but I don't want to scare them off either. You know, by saying you know I'm sober forty years, yeah. whatever it is. Six. Forty-six, yeah. You, I can't. I did the math. Next month, yeah. Forty-seven coming up. Yeah. yeah. No, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but some some would say you know it's good to, it's good to let people know where you're at. You know, everybody know, so everybody kind of knows where where everybody's at in the journey. You know. I mean, if, if uh, I was sitting in the audience, bouncing, auditing the program. I'd, I'd say, you know, what's the guy still doing around here? Crazy, why don't he get a life? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so we got an hour and a half yeah, buddy. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's thank my you. pleasure, believe me. Oh, it's great. It's great. I appreciate you coming in on a Sunday afternoon. Now you time with me in my garage. Making me think that I uh, maybe need a sponsor. Right. I'll get a new company sponsor. Then they'll really have to do some work. Yeah, they would, for sure. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, thanks a million well, again. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. All right, that's it for today. Bye. pretty quick.
Boy, I never talked that long in all my life. All right, Steve, we're recording again. We're doing a podcast. What's a podcast, Steve? No idea. I'm trusting you. <laughs> I, I figure it's something over the airwaves. That's in, and you said it was anonymous, so I was comfortable with your word. All right. Yeah. This is this is. Um, it's think of it as a speaker tape. Yeah. So it's a speaker tape. It's digital. It's not you know a tape like it used to be, and it's going to be on you know iTunes or any kind of app that um, people can listen to podcasts on. And so the intention is it's like people listening to a speaker. It's going to be people are going to listen to you speak. It's like a speaker meeting. How's that sound? That's fine, fine to me. All right. Let's do this.